0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Stephen Oxford, Managing Director of Oxford's Bakery, a fourth-generation traditional artisan uh, English bakery located across Dorset. Stephen, hello. Hi, thanks for
1: having me.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. Now, uh, normally we'd get straight into the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID situation, we should start there. How has this affected your business?
1: Um, It has pressed the reset button. Um, I spend a lot of my time doing things as honestly and as purely as I possibly can and wondering whether people really care. And then when something like this, a great shock to the nation comes along, it um, tends to steer people towards what they know, what they feel comfortable with, and um, places that they trust. And we, to a certain degree, benefited from that. I mean, we had to work very hard, but um, people came to us because we were there for them, because we could adapt, because we could deliver, because we could um, provide them with food when you couldn't even get uh, a delivery slot on the supermarket right. for three weeks. So for, for us, um, for us, it was uh, uh, an uh, out. We have a saying in the business, a saying in my family, out of adversity comes opportunity. And, and for us, it was an, an opportunity to show what we could do, whereas I think for some small businesses, you can get a little bit overlooked.
0: Absolutely. Now, what does the uh, post-COVID reality look like for bakeries like yours across the country?
1: well it's given us an opportunity like i say to 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 be able to show that we can provide that although it used to be a, a mockery to say that nation um, you know the, the, we're a nation of shopkeepers Actually, it's just not a bad thing if, if there's independence in there that can stay strong and, and stay together and stay organized then they can form a backbone of of britain and and, and small um uh, sustainable food supplies food chains locally i'm very much a, 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 a you know, I was going to say a champion of my county. That sounds like I'm being myself up for an advocate of local food and Dorset food and and and, and doing things county-wise. Um, I think if we are able to continue down that track, actually, without having to promote ourselves or push ourselves as hard as we used to, people will mm, become endeared to it. So for us, it's a case of doing what we do, doing it honestly, doing it as best as we can. And I'm that makes me feel confident, although I'm going to have to change business hours and adapt on almost on a weekly or fortnightly basis actually not too frightened about the future. Um, I think it's an opportunity to, to, to show people what we can do. And I mean, you know, we're 110 years old, and this is our second pandemic. <laughs> we went through the Spanish flu <laughs> back in the very early 1900s. And um, and we adapted then through two world wars as well, and uh, and many, many uh, adverse situations. And so it's a chance to show what we can do. And if that means that I have to change to back to home deliveries as my great-grandfather did buy horse and cart back in the early 1900s or or whether it means that we have to extend retail hours or change our offering then i'll do it because yes i enjoy baking yes it's my family business and yes it's that but my ambition is to uh, the continue you know the continuation and success of of the oxford's brand of the oxford's bakery name so i'll adapt and and i'm positive we can to, to 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 uh to some great degree with with some success too
0: Absolutely fantastic. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership. Um, I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Well, it's difficult because uh, although I um, like to lead from the front and I like to lead together, if I am, and this is only in very small matters of small teams, um, I find it difficult to be viewed as a leader um, because you always see yourself as a normal guy. Uh, you know whatever situation that is and my son um was ill about uh six months ago just a week off school with a with a cough and cold not a current climate <laughs> exception but um i he said i want to work for the bakery one day dad i want to i want to i want to be the leader of, of oxford's bakery and that's that was the word he used so i looked back at that because i said all right because i had some time to kill fill out your job description fill out, fill out um, an interview form for me and tell me why you would do it and he wrote this and i've I written it down this is because I will teach people well and I will help them if they are doing the job wrong and I will always be the first one there. And that, I cried <laughs> when I read it. He was seven at the time and it, and it really evoked emotion and it encapsulated everything in, in the three very simple sentences of, of what it means to be there for people and to, um, to inspire people and to motivate people and encourage people and give people belief and trust in someone, that someone knows the direction that you should be going in. And I feel a bit silly, and my friends will laugh at me, even referring to myself as a leader, but I am I am the, the, the manager of a business. I, I have to acknowledge that. I'm also just a normal bloke at the same time who gets took the mickey out of by all his pals like everyone else. Um, but those things are, are key, are crucial, that people can look at you and trust in the process that you're going through and trust in your ideas. And then your ability um, to see them through, your, your desire and determination to see them through. And that is what, that is what distinguishes someone uh, as a leader compared to someone who might be full of ideas but can't push them through or full of determination but with no direction. I think a combination of those things um, summed up very nicely by young Eli John Oxford, age seven in 2019.
0: <laughs> and how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: very democratic I ask everybody what and how they think about a situation I have my ideas but I want to listen to everyone's first. that started out of reassurance when I started in my business I was 21 22 with no teamwork experience I was a a DJ nightclub DJ in some the music industry before I joined my father's business so I worked on my own a lot in control of what I did too Um, and then I was Uh, given the task of having to guide people much older and much more experienced than myself from a traditional bakery making lots of large white tin loaves which were very popular but not very fashionable at the time into a more um, uh, modern uh, style with with, with, you know you associate with sort of sourdough breads and and laminated pastries that you see on every uh, bakery in London these days Um, and so I start, it bore out of uh, me asking, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? But I found that really beneficial because people were able to give some direction. You can pick up tips and, and hints from everybody as well. And, and it gave me a, a good idea of how communication can lead a team. You know, there's no point saying, let's go that way. And then some rowing left and some rowing right and some rowing forward and some rowing back. As long as we all agree which direction we're rowing in, <laughs> I, I can point the way. Uh, and 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 just keep checking and seeing that everyone's rowing in the di- the same direction at the same time. So me myself, very democratic, and um, I I don't lose patience very often. I, I can bark a bit if I really really can't get my point across. But but um, I, I really admire and value people that I work with very very much. And I love more than anything someone saying actually this is the way. And then you know, you know to be able to listen to someone else's ideas of pushing forward. I think that's just as important when you're a leader too.
0: Now, are there any specific challenges to running a fourth-generation family business?
1: Many. Um, The start that I would start at, and I hope my father listens to this, is that when you join, you're the son and the dad's the dad. And the Oxford motto, which is a joke, that's not a motto, but another Oxford saying is dads are always right. Well, that's great because I'm a dad now. Uh, so that means I was <laughs> Um and it was great because you had a great hierarchy of father knows all the answers to a certain degree, and um, and me who was just able there to listen and, and be guided along. Then it got to a stage about ten years into it where me and dad would do exactly the same job at exactly the same time, you know, reaching for the same dough scraper, putting the same flour in the mixer, trying to go to the oven at the same time. So because we were so in tune with what needed to be done. And there was a point for about a year where we had to learn and adapt, and not many crosswords spoken. We, we're not uh, aggressive family or anything like that. We, we, we're very uh, democratic in our in our debates. And um, there was a point for about a year where there was a crossover, and that was a huge, huge challenge, massive. And and many family businesses don't get over that, and there's animosity within the within the family business, and then it becomes a financial issue and stuff. We we to a certain degree cruised through. My mum, my who was alive at the time, was. Really good and able to offer good answers for everything as well. But that was that was the biggest the first and biggest challenge that I found. Second to that would be taking a business with so much history and making it appeal to a new audience. So you, if in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, bakeries weren't cool. It wasn't cool for me, my dad to have a bakery. You know, that was a bit of a joke. Um, because supermarkets were going to take a, take us all out. you know. They, I sat with a business mentor about two years ago, and his job working on behalf of the big bread brands and the big supermarket bread brands was, and this is the quote, to kill the small bakery. He said, I was sent out to kill the small bakery. So I find him a fascinating guy to talk to. So for me to change people's perception of a 95-year-old bakery, as it was then, or a 90-year-old bakery, and make, a, make people believe that actually 90 years of experience is, is a good thing, is a beneficial thing and that we are able to offer everything that you want and more, that was incredibly difficult um, because not only are you trying to market your business, you're trying to sort of uh, change people's perception of it at the same time, almost to a, to a degree, it would have been easier to set up a bakery of my own under, under a trendier brand and done some of the products that I wanted to do. So those two things combined have been the biggest challenges of my um, career uh, and, and, and as of management of the business and then apart from that getting up at 2.45am but I think that's pretty much a challenge for everybody else in there <laughs>
0: <laughs> well unfortunately our time together is uh, drawing to its close but before I let okay. you go what does the next 12 months have in store for Oxford's Bakery
1: um, just the steady ship um, I would love to make thousands of plans um, we've got uh, a, a, a four retail outlets plus our bakery where
2: we have a, um,
1: a cafe and, uh, and, and sort of shop and we teach lots of courses. So really reopening, we're, we're getting bigger premises uh, in a, in, a, in one of our towns in Stemster newton uh, to, to accommodate more people because we have a little shop there, which is very busy. And, and now I'm able to, uh, or hopefully soon, if we can all get through this together, I'm able to reopen my, my courses. I do a lot of teaching and lots of talking in public uh, to, to, to groups and the food festivals and, and things like that. And um, so reopening, reopening and getting back to normal whilst keeping a steady ship. Um, but I would like to keep on some of the things that we've adapted to, the, the way that we're able to reach the, some of the far corners of Dorset uh, and deliver to people that can't get out as much. You know, I, I've always dreamed of that. I was wanted my bakery to be used as a, a, a centre of the community. And we've seen that. You know, we've had plant sales and things like that because we can use the outdoor space down in our bakery in Western, So utilizing some of the things that we have very quickly had to learn to do over the last four or five months while continuing to reopen over the next 12. But I'm very positive about it.
0: Well, fantastic, Stephen. I do look forward to having you back on the program at some point in the future. But for now, Stephen, thank you. Many thanks. That was Stephen Oxford, Managing Director of Oxford's Bakery. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is my exclusive interview with our chairman, Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.
0: Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, Now, it it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus?
2: Were it to be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of solomon really to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly there's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up not just on the economic and employment front which will be devastating enough but on the health and social well-being front enormous challenges and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic. Concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19, those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation, and that will need all of us to pull together as well.
0: Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business?
2: I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, remember, a chancellor who had only just come into office structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences, as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We, We needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation